So this evening, I actually, I felt, you know, we prepare something and um, I found myself feeling really reassured actually in the songs that Ali chose this evening. We didn't have any kind of conversation about the theme for this evening, but um, there are just times where you're like, okay, God, I, I have heard you right because in fact there is a similar theme. So... Um, We are continuing our series looking at Abide in My Love. I feel like with with last month having to cancel, thank you for your patience with that. Um, It's been a while since we've got together. So I thought I'd do a very quick recap of what we're looking at this year before I launch into um, the theme of this evening's Abide in My Love. I'm just going to have to put my glasses on. And I didn't bring the right ones. These are my reading ones only, so I'm going to have to peer over the top of them as well, like this. See? I do have bifocals now that work, but I forget to pack them. So, all right. So, our key text for the year is John 14 and 15. And um, we looked at the beginning of the year in more depth in those particular chapters in John um, because they're some of the... the final things that Jesus is saying to his disciples before he goes to the cross, they're things that really I think are worth paying attention to. Um, You know, you often think things that people are saying towards the end of their life need to be taken uh, and paid attention to. And um, Jesus was giving them some fairly key things um, before he went to the cross. Um, And so he talked to them a lot about the promises of um, what was coming for them. Um, He was certainly looking to comfort them because they were pretty um, anxious and distressed by the fact that he was saying he was not going to be with them any longer and that he was going to die. And um, and things were starting to swirl around them a lot more and there was certainly a lot more angst around them. And so they were anxious. And so there were things that he talked to them about in terms of promises of their eternal dwelling with him in his new kingdom in the future. But he also promised them that he would dwell with them and in them. Um, And he keeps reminding them repeatedly through um, those last conversations, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I know that I've said I'm going, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to be with you always. And then he begins to unpack for them the promise of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling presence of God um, that we now know makes his home in us when we say yes to Jesus. I think this must have still been a pretty tricky thing for them to get their heads around. But Jesus said all of these things to them kept repeating them and then from this foundation of these are my promises don't panic I'm not leaving you as orphans the Holy Spirit will come he's going to be with you and in you Um, he gives them this instruction in John 15 to abide in him or to remain in him he says I've chosen you now you need to choose me Um, And so we unpacked at the beginning of the year what abide means. It really means to stay or take up permanent residence and make your home. So he promises to make his home in us, but we also 
have to be intentional about making our home in him to actually make sure that the underlying orientation of our heart is always towards God and that we're looking to be, grow and become more aware and attentive to his indwelling presence in us and that it's always act he is always active in the midst of our very real very messy lives um and that, in fact, through that encounter of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that abiding in Jesus and him abiding in us is that we're going to be transformed. We're going to be formed into the likeness of Jesus over time. And so that was the, that, that's what we've been looking at this year. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? So how do we stay anchored in him? How do we... Um, how do we look to allow Jesus to be um, more formed in us, to become more like Jesus, to walk in the ways of Jesus in the midst of real life? It's not like we become Christians and then we just get beamed out of the mess. Like we have to live in the mess knowing that we're this new creation, but some of the time or a lot of the time not looking like or feeling like we're a new creation. So what does it look like to abide in Jesus? And so the thing that I really wanted to look at this evening was what does it look like to keep coming to Jesus when things are hard, when there's suffering in our lives, when things are difficult, when there are trials, when there's sorrow, when there's grief, when we're doubting, when um, we're not sure, we feel more doubt than we feel faith. Like, how do we stay anchored in Jesus? How do we keep, um, you know, a very Christian kind of phrase is that we talk about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Like, what does that look like? How do we keep coming to Jesus when things are hard? And is it actually possible for Jesus to be more formed in us in the yucky seasons as well as the good ones? Like I've, I, I feel like certainly in my life from time to time, I think he's having much more success making me more like him when things are going swimmingly than when things are hard. But I think what, what I want to show you this evening is that that's actually not true that Jesus is being formed in us in and out of season and that it is possible even when we are full of pain and doubt rather than full of faith. So the first thing that I just wanted to look at is, um, and I guess I want to be clear, I'll talk a little bit about suffering and difficulty tonight. There's, this is not a sermon so much about the theology of suffering, although we'll touch on some aspects of that. Um, my main focus for us this evening is what it looks like to abide in him in those times and what things might make that a little bit more difficult. And so I think that there are two things in hard times in particular. There are more, but there are two key things that most other things fit under the heading of that influence how we respond to God and how we abide in him in hard times. And those are how we view suffering and then what we believe about how God views our suffering. Those two things and what we think and believe about what, how we view suffering and how we think God views our suffering will impact 
and influence how we abide in him in the midst of it. So first of all, how we view suffering. So if we look back at these um, chapters in John, um, you've really got sort of 13, he washes his disciples' feet, 14, 15, 16, you've got a lot of information that he's giving his disciples in there. And through what John has recorded for us to be able to see what Jesus shared with his disciples, we get to see Jesus saying some fairly comforting things. He talks about, my peace I'm leaving with you. I don't give you peace like the world gives you. My peace is real. He talks about the fact that he's not leaving um, them as orphans. So he says some fairly comforting things, but he also takes the time to spell out some fairly hard things both about their impending suffering and his own. And he makes abundantly clear to them that following him is not going to be some golden ticket out of suffering. In fact, he makes it quite clear that following him will bring suffering. And he says to them, you will have tribulation. So in the midst of all this comforting words he says to them you will have tribulation not you might have tribulation but you will have tribulation and then he prefaces that statement by saying to them I've said these things to you so remember he's gone through all of these promises but also things that they should expect that are going to be hard in their life so I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so it got me thinking, so how does hearing that you need to expect that hard things are coming, how does that bring you peace? Like, um, you know... Uh, I think different people have different views around things like sharing bad news. Some people think, well, I'm just not going to let people know. Like I have members in my family who've had really serious diagnoses and they, don't, they haven't let us in at the point that they've started the process of being investigated. We don't know anything about it until the diagnosis is done. Whereas we have other family members who have been complete oversharers and they've told everything right from the beginning. And so, you know, you do, we do have different um, approaches, I guess, to how we share bad or difficult news. But Jesus obviously was not um, going to try and shelter them from this. He wasn't going to say, yep, yeah, because it's just going to be fine. No worries. You're going to be just fine. He makes it very clear to them that... Um, they need to expect that things are going to be difficult at times. And so when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, what would my response to suffering be if as a follower of Jesus I just never expected hard things? If I just thought that coming to Jesus meant that's it, I'm ever, life's rosy from now on, there's no difficulties, how would I respond when suffering comes? And so... It's not unusual. There's no way that we can read Scripture in its entirety from the beginning to the end and feel that Scripture would suggest to us that we're going to be immune from difficulties. And that's really that's part of what Jesus is doing, isn't it? He's, he is prepping them for the um, expectancy that there will be things that are difficult. 
but that in me you will find peace, is what he says to them. And so our superpower, if you like, as followers of Jesus, is not the avoidance of suffering at all, but it's that God is with us in the midst. It's that me that in me you will have peace. It's not that the absence of suffering, it's not the absence of hard things that will give you peace, but actually it's that when you're in me and I'm in you, there can be peace even in the midst of it. Um, and so I guess, you know, part of what I imagine in that conversation with Jesus, and there's, there's a lot around this particular statement that he makes, but the thing I guess I, I want to pull out today is that he wasn't shielding them. He was wanting to build a robustness in them that at the first sign of difficulty, they weren't going to turn away that in fact they were prepared and ready and understood that suffering was a part of following him, remembering that he is about to suffer. He is about to suffer and um, be shamed and degraded. And, and so um, we, sing, we sing a song at church that talks about we have a God who weeps, a God who bleeds, you know, we have, um, uh, the, uh, we have a suffering servant in our Lord Jesus. And so he was making it very clear to his disciples, there needs to be a robustness in your faith. There needs to be a resilience in your discipleship under me, in, in your following with me that doesn't think that this is some golden ticket to not have suffering. Um, you, you know, our our witness of Jesus in our life. And I, I mean, we can all give mental assent to this. Yes, we understand that there will be suffering in our life. But I don't know about you, but there have de- there's definitely been significant trials in my life where my response to them has revealed that I clearly thought that I should be immune to this, that actually this shouldn't be happening to me because I'm a follower of Jesus. And look, there is... There is, there, are, there is definitely suffering that is, if you like, useless. Like it, it, it's just, it's, it's terrible suffering. And to go and try and make a lesson out of it, I think we have to be really careful. So I'm certainly not saying that. There are hard things that people walk through, that you may have walked through, that I've walked through, that really make no sense. And um, there have been seasons in my life where God has said to me, you can't make a lesson out of everything. You're just going to have to trust me and not understanding. Like, I'm, I'm, you're not, you're not, you can't make a lesson out of this. Um, but the truth of our witness of Jesus in us is not about presenting a flawless life. Like, we don't have to present a flawless life to be a witness for Jesus. And so sometimes we can believe that suffering in our life is actually going to be like um, a bad advertisement for, for G- following Jesus. But Jesus himself made it very clear to these first disciples of his, there will be suffering, there, there will be things that are hard. And so the first thing in abiding and learning to abide in 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 his love in hard times is to recognize that suffering is not some kind of an alien thing 
but actually the very thing that makes us human. Um, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, um, and he's talking to a group in a church where there have been these super apostles who've come through and they've basically sort of really made out that Paul is pretty pathetic and, you know, look at his life because all of these difficult things have happened to him and what kind of a witness is he and it doesn't really commend him to you. He shouldn't really be your apostle. Um, And Paul says this, he says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labour, sleepless nights, hunger. It doesn't sound like a great advertisement for following Jesus, does it? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And he goes on in this letter to the Corinthians to say, I'm not going to boast in my strength. I'm going to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so when we um, consider suffering and hardship, um, the other thing I think we have to watch out for, which then can cause us not to abide in the Lord if we have an attitude towards suffering that is faulty, is that we can feel that we need to hide in shame because we're suffering. Um, and in fact, Paul puts it right out there. He lists his sufferings. Um, and he says, I will boast all the more in my weakness so that Christ's power may be manifest in my life. So People can see him in me, that in my weakness, he is strong. N.T. Wright is one of my um, favorite uh, theologians, and he says this. He says, I suspect the necessity of suffering has not been understood, particularly by the comfortable Western church. And so suffering is certainly not something to be celebrated. It's not like somehow suffering in and of itself makes us more holy or, you know, there are really weird sects around the world um, of, um, that call themselves Christians but um, who believe that they have to actually crucify themselves over Easter and pierce their hands and like suffer in those kind of ways. That, that is, there's nothing in scripture that would suggest we're meant to if we pour punishment on ourselves more, then we will be more holy at all. But we are also not to believe that somehow following Jesus is an insurance policy against suffering. That, um, that when we believe that, we will be blindsided by hard times. And, you know, often what ends up happening, as I've said, is we can feel shame, which means then that we hide, which is definitely not abiding in his love because that's not drawing near to him. Shame makes us hide and to pull away. Um, 
It also may cause us to blame God or blame ourselves. Um, And again, we may go through processes of that in our wrestling with God. Um, But when we see that suffering is a part of our humanity um, and that God is not embarrassed by our um, suffering, it, it helps us to abide in him in the midst of it. Um, so as I said, I mean, th- th- it's, it's a fairly vast subject to think about the aspects of suffering and I'm sure all of you have, whether it's family or friends around you who would say, perhaps don't know the Lord and would say, well, if, if, there's, a, if there's a God, why does he allow suffering? Um, And so it's a very large topic. Tonight, really, our focus is on the fact that how we view suffering as lovers and followers of Jesus matters and then influences how we will respond and how we will abide in him or if we will abide in him in the midst of it. So the other thing that I just wanted to have a quick look at was how we believe God views our suffering. And again, this makes a really big impact. If, if, depending on how we think God views our suffering, again, we will either pull away from him or lean in and towards him. And so right up front, I want to just say to you that scripture, you cannot read the Bible and not see the truth that over and over again we are shown that God is not repelled by our humanity and our suffering and that human suffering is placed right at the heart of the gospel and um, and what is presented to us time and time again when we read scripture is this view of a God who draws near to us in our suffering. And that actually the scripture gives dignity to our suffering. Now what I mean by that is that it's not covered up. Like you can't read the accounts of multiple people in scripture. You read about their suffering. You know, God doesn't, um, doesn't do a whitewash job on it. He, he gives dignity to human suffering. He's not embarrassed by it. It doesn't need to be hushed up. It's actually there for us to be able to see that it's open, openly talked about. It's squarely and passionately set before God. And there's this full expectancy throughout Scripture that he hears us in our suffering. So I wanted to read to you Psalm 130 as an example. Obviously, the Psalms are a significant reading spot when we're talking about people pouring out their suffering to God. And this is what it says in Psalm 130 in the message. Help, God. I've hit rock bottom. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? But as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching until morning, Waiting and watching until morning. O Israel, wait and watch for God. 
With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. There's no doubt about it. He'll redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. So what we see in Psalm 130 is this description of God who is the one who forgives, the one who comes to those who wait and hope. He's the one who's characterized by steadfast love and redemption. We see that the psalmist believes God will make a difference, that he actually acts positively towards his people um, and that he's not indifferent to us in our rejection or ambivalent, um, that he's not capricious, that he doesn't kind of um, act in fits and starts. And he's not stingy. He doesn't just provide for us bare survival. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, God is at the foundation. He is at the boundaries. He seeks the hurt, the wounded, the wandering and the lost. He woos the rebellious and the confused. We can stand in confident awe before God, even in our suffering rather than in terrorised despair. I'm going to read that bit again because it really stood out to me. We can stand in confident awe before God, even in our suffering, rather than in terrorised despair. We need to know that suffering is a part of what it means to be human, that it isn't something alien, and we need to know that wherever we are, God is. He is with us and that there is not any place, even the depths that are out of bounds to God. I love the scripture that says there's nowhere we can flee from his presence. Um, And so this is why we can face, acknowledge and live through suffering and why we can abide in his love. And that Christ can be formed in us in and out of season. The truth is that suffering is real and God is real. And we can both accept suffering as being a part of our human conditioning and believe God. Both of those things are possible. They're not um, kind of um, polar opposites. It's possible to accept that there will be suffering in our lives and continue to believe in and trust God. And so I'm just going to finish now um, with... um, I've been hoping as part of this season of looking at abiding to kind of talk to you about various practices that help us to abide um, in his love. So last time we got together, we talked about Lectio Divino, which is is the meditative reading of scripture. So reading through scripture slowly and carefully and allowing it to talk to us. And so this evening, the practice that I wanted to bring to you as part of this idea of what does it look like to abide in his love when things are hard is the practice of lament. Um, Simply put, lament is when we hold our suffering up to the Lord. We're not looking to try and explain it or get an explanation from him. We're just simply bringing our suffering before him. Um, 
I read um, this quote, I can't pronounce the man's surname, Mark Rogop, I think is his surname, but he says this, he says, lament is the language expressed in the Bible that helps bridge the gap between God is good and I trust in his sovereignty and my life is hard. So that those two things is possible to keep saying when lament is a practice in our life, that God is good and I trust in his sovereignty, but my life is hard. It's this honest turning to God, and you see it all throughout Scripture, particularly in the Psalms, but um, there are 50 prayers of lament in the book of Psalms alone, but we have a whole book um, called Lamentations, which is a whole book of lament. Um, Jesus himself laments to the Father in the garden at Gethsemane. Um, And we can lament over our own personal suffering, but also we may lament over the suffering of others, the suffering of our nation or other nations. So lament can be personal, but lament may also be something that we utilise when we're feeling completely overwhelmed by the state of the world around us. And we bring that suffering to the Lord. We present it to him. We're honest about our feelings before him. What we find, though, in the lament of Scripture is that it's always directed towards God. It's always addressed to him. And the other thing um, that we see is um, that it isn't just a kind of a rant. Like, it's not, it's not just a, a rant at God, although raw and gritty emotion may be part of our lament. And that may include anger. That may include deep sorrow. Um, in, in the scripture, lament sometimes will be accompanied by wailing and you read about people getting themselves dressed in, ash cloth, um, in sackcloth and ashes and wailing. That, that is a form of lament, um, possibly not recommended at the gates of the city, but look, if you feel like getting dressed up in sackcloth and ashes, but that was the way that they demonstrated their their torn heart, their broken heart before the Lord. And so in the face of overwhelming suffering, lament is this invitation to get real with God and to keep our focus on him in the midst of unanswered questions. So lament is certainly not coming to God and saying to him, this is what I want you to fix, could you do this, this and this. It's actually a place of humility. It's coming to him And basically acknowledging, I don't understand, but you're God and I'm not. And it says, this is how I'm feeling, God, and then I leave it to you. That's what lament looks like. It's it's this process of bringing in realness to the Lord um, our heartbreak. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 describes God this way, and I love this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. The God of all comfort. So I guess the thing that I want to leave you with the idea of this evening is that, you know, 
the gift of suffering is not the suffering itself. It's the actual encounter with God in the midst of it that is the gift of suffering. And I just want to finish by reading you um, 2 Corinthians 4. This will be um, a familiar passage to you. But again, just reminds us of the fact that God doesn't cover up our frailty in the midst of Scripture. And it says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge and glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Can I pray for us this evening? and um, Father... We just really come to you this evening with an awareness of our human frailty. And Father, we just really uh, want to welcome your presence with us this evening. Lord, to meet us wherever we're at in this moment in time. Lord, I really want to ask that you would help us have a right perspective of our humanity and the suffering um, that is in this world and that each one of us will encounter at various times. I also ask, Lord, that you would help us to have a right belief and view of how you see our suffering and that you are a God who draws near to us, and that there really is no place that is out of bounds for you. Even, Lord, when we feel like we're in a pit, you are there with us, you sit with us, you come to us, Lord, in our affliction. Lord, I ask that you would draw near to those who are needing your comfort this evening. Lord, that... Um, you would comfort them, that they would receive your comfort, Lord. Father, would you help us to be women who are able appropriately, Lord, to lament, to bring the anguish, Lord, of our hearts to you in honesty and to genuinely, Lord, express ourselves to you with you as our focus, Lord, it is our heart's desire, Lord, to learn to abide in you. Lord, to choose you just like you have chosen us and to keep choosing you, Lord, even in the hard seasons.
Lord, would you help us um, if we're stuck in any cycles of shame to do with our suffering, Lord, I ask for your, the lifting off of that shame, Lord, for your healing, for your comfort, Lord, that we would once again draw near to you, to stop hiding from you, Lord, and to come as we are to you. Lord, I ask that you would continue to give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and a heart to know you, Lord, more intimately and more deeply. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.